again. Word up in the back corner on the couch. <laughs> awesome. Hey, um, we're going to be wrapping up our series here uh, at the Vineyard on the Book of Judges. We have been going. That was incredibly awkward. We've been going for the last four months on the book of Judges, and today is our last message out of the book. It's the longest sustained series that we've ever done at the Vineyard, and um, I think it's been pretty awesome. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. The Lord has, I think, has talked to us um, out of some really, really difficult passages. And if uh, maybe you've never been to the Vineyard before, and you're wondering, like, what's this church about? Well, just go check the audio archive for the last four months. There's been some really, some really challenging, some great stuff from, from Jesus there. And uh, this morning, uh, even though I'm the pastor, I'm not going to speak to you guys. I've got a couple guys who are going to help me this morning, Garrett and, uh, and Dusty. And Garrett, why don't you come on up here? Everybody say hello to Garrett. One, one of the things that we want to do here at the Vineyard is, uh, one of the things that we're fighting against is we're fighting against um, the cultural tendency, especially at church, for church to be um, a couple guys who do everything and a whole bunch of people who do nothing. And, and in doing that, uh, the Bible has language for that. It's called equipping the saints. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4. That, that the role of the pastor is not to save people. The role of the evangelist is not to get people saved. The role of the evangelist is to teach people how to get people saved. The role of the pastor is not to pastor people, but to teach people how to, how to shepherd other people in the church. Does this make sense? And so that's one of the things we're going to do. We're gonna, uh, we, we often put up new people here that, uh, that, are, are, that are being raised up. And we've got a couple of jewels with us this morning. And uh, I'm glad they're here. Uh, why don't you guys do this? Why don't you put your hand out? Let's just pray for these guys this morning that, we would, uh, that they would speak and that we would hear. Father, thanks for Garrett and thanks for Dusty. Uh, they are precious to us, God. And uh, we, just, we appreciate that you have given us treasure at this house. God, we ask that you would give them full expression this morning, that everything that you've placed in their heart would come out. And God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear. Not just Bible trivia. God, we're not interested in Bible trivia. We're not interested in Bible knowledge. God, we ask that you would give us a revelation that touches our heart. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. And uh, I said this in the first service, but I'm going to echo it again. Uh, if we mess up today, all the angry emails still go to Adam. They don't come to us. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I'm uh, Garrett. I've been going to church here for about four years. I just graduated from the university. And uh, I used to lead a community group here. I'm not actually going to be leading one this semester because in less than three weeks, I'm marrying the girl of my dreams. And, uh, yeah, I just want to focus on marriage. Uh, yeah, so um, Adam asked, us, asked Dusty and I to kind of be the bookend to the series on Judges, which was an amazing series. If you missed any of the sermons, I highly recommend go back and listen to them. I listened to just about every single one of them this past week in preparation for this sermon. And uh, I actually preached in the first one. I got six minutes then. I got 12 minutes now. So that's kind of the vineyard promotion rate. You get six, then you get 12. Who knows, next time I might get 24. Ah, come on, more than more. So then anyways, uh, so I get the epilogue and the prologue. So I got the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega, all that good stuff. So anyways, um, let's, let's move to the first slide, please. So if you're anybody like me, who is kind of a gigantic nerd... You can easily geek out on the big details and miss out on the context of the entire idea of what you're studying. And so in the book of Judges, I find it always important to remember, remind myself of the five W's, which was the first sermon that we gave. I had the win, so I remember that one really well, even though some of the details in that were probably extraneous, but that's, that's just who I am. 
Um, so the who, we're, we're looking at the Israelites. You know, Old Testament, it's right after Joshua died. There's no king. If, it, if there was a king, it'd be called First Kings, but it's not, it's Judges. So we have the Israelites without a king. They go through this cycle of sin, servitude, and salvation, which is the next bullet point, or the third bullet point. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what they're doing. The when is after the death of Joshua. It's, it's roughly the 13th to 14th century B.C. And in those days, there was no king. Every man did as they saw fit. That's kind of the mantra of the book. It's echoed about five times. That's how many I, times I counted it. Uh, mainly towards the end of the book. And why? And I think the, the, the why in this... So it's kind of an awkward question to ask, I think, when you're asking Scripture, why? Why is this here? Well, one, it's there for historical data, but more than that, I think it showcases the beauty of God's goodness and in his faithfulness, his deliverance, and everything to his people. He's just faithful and he's good the entire course of the book. There's nothing in there where, as Adam would say, God pushes a piano out of heaven onto somebody. That never happens. Those pianos don't exist. They don't. So that's what I think shows the why of this book. Um, also, the really interesting thing is that verse, in those days there was no king, every man did as they saw fit. Oftentimes, people struggle with the concept, especially in uh, postmodern America. What is God's judgment? What's his wrath? What is that? And I think that that's a perfect metaphor for what it is. It's every man doing as they see fit. It's people doing what they think they want. They actually get it, and then they realize they don't want it because it's actually separation from the Lord, and it's actually being pushing yourself, pushing the Lord away from you, pushing him far away from you, and realizing that what you really wanted wasn't what you wanted at all. It was actually really bad, and you see that with every single judge. There's 12 judges, and every single time they push the Lord away from them and forsake him for something else, and it always ends in disaster. So, uh, can we go to the next slide, please? So, the overarching themes. I talked once again, before we get into the first one, um, talked first again about the sin, servitude, and salvation. Yeah, that happens. It's a, I look at it as a little circle, and it happens every time with every single judge. Um, some of the judges, some of the things that really stuck onto me as we went through the series, there's certain things that kind of latches onto your heart. And everybody's different, so they get different things that latch onto their heart. Some of the things that I wanted to share today, one of the judges, you put up Judges 331, a guy named Shamgar. Do you guys remember the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar? I'm pronouncing them correctly, incorrectly. Uh, I'm sorry. I've, just, I've always learned in preaching that, or even when you're doing popcorn reading, say you get the genealogy of Jesus or something like that, you just have to read as fast and as confidently as you can because nobody knows how to pronounce any of those names. And if somebody corrects you, well, that's not somebody I want to be hanging out with. <laughs> and that's how you weed people out of your life. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Okay, so anyways, you got Ehud, which sounds right to me. Ehud came, after Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who stuck, struck down 600 Philistines with an ox code. He, too, saved Israel. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think an ox code would be my first weapon of choice if I was going to battle against 600 Philistines. I mean, I just wouldn't. But this is the amazing thing about him. He's, he's the third judge mentioned in the book of Judges of the Twelve. And that's the only verse you get on him in the entire Bible. And what this spoke to me, what this really hit my heart about, was the fact that he may be only mentioned in one verse, but what he did was amazing. And so a lot of people, me myself included big time, I always can sometimes feel underestimated. I can get that victim spirit. I can get that feeling of all I get is one verse. But he killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. You know, that's some 
some credit. We don't know much about his life. But man, if you ever feel underestimated, Shamgar, he's there with you. You can sit on the, the, you can sit on the bitterness couch with him. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I, that was something that hit me. I was like, you know, God sees your effort. He sees it every day. And killing 600 people with an ox code, that's just, that's cool. So the overarching themes that I got out of this book is, the first one is God uses everyone, especially weak people. You know, we oftentimes hear the verse, uh, his power is made perfect in our weakness. It's so true. And I think it's, it's, it's really good to, to hear that verse, but also see an example attached to it. And Gideon's perfect. If you ever reread the story of Gideon, it's really important to look at his life and see, hey, he was the least of his brothers threshing wheat in a wine press. And as we all learned, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You don't. You thresh wheat in the openness so that all the kernels go away and you get the fruit of the wheat right there. The wine press is a symbol of judgment. He was actually threshing wheat in a wine press because he was afraid because the Midianites were oppressing them. Every time they would get their harvest, the Midianites would come in, take all their food and take it away. And they were just completely in poverty. Felt like the Lord had left them. There was just nobody crying out to the Lord. They were in complete servitude because they forsook the Lord for other gods of the Canaanites, of the Midianites, of them all. And so Gideon is probably, quite possibly, you can make a case that he's the weakest person in Israel in his time the weakest person, and yet God raises him up to deliver Israel. Um, Gideon repeatedly believes he's disqualified from being used by the Lord, but and and this is really evident in verses 36 through 40 of Judges chapter 6, where he throws out his fleeces. And I think this is a really good example for us, because this is my litmus test to see if you're weak, which I know I'm always weak, and this is the, the, the fleeces is the perfect test of that, because when Gideon... When the, the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, meaning God himself, comes to Gideon, he still throws out the fleece and says, yeah, I'm not really sure that I want to do this because I just want to make sure you're God. So if it's, if you're God, make the fleece wet. It's wet. Like, okay, well, I just want to check one more time. So everything around the fleece needs to be wet and the fleece doesn't need to be wet. And it happens again. How many times do we throw out fleeces? How many times do we feel like we should probably approach somebody and I don't know, minister to them, whatever it looks like. It's different every time. But how many times do we feel that? And then we're like, ah, God, you know what? If this is really you, maybe they can like put their left hand up. And then it happens and it's like, oh, wait, how about they put their left hand down? They put their right hand up. And it sounds like the hokey pokey right now. So, but I mean, we do that. I do that. I don't know if, I don't know if I'm the only crazy one here, but that's how the litmus test for being weak. But here's the beauty of it. God uses weak people. God didn't disqualify Gideon and say, hey, Gideon, you know, you're throwing these fleeces. I don't think you trust me. Why don't you just, I'm just going to let you die. He didn't do that because God never does that. He didn't push a piano out of heaven. He didn't do any of that stuff. And a verse that, uh, that just was absolutely so, so incredibly beautiful to me that I'm not going to lie. I just, I cried the first couple of times that I read it, especially after Adam preached on it. Can you bring up Judges 7.10? Maybe. Yeah. This is when Gideon has his 300 men, and he's going to go scout out the Midianites, and he's afraid, and the Lord tells him, go look at the Midianites. Go look at their camp, where they've got thousands and thousands of men. And in his weakness, he says, God, I'm too scared. And then God turns to him and says, if, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. And to me, that's so beautiful, because in that moment, God lets his friend come with him. And it's just, it's so beautiful. 
God never wants you to go it alone. And he'll, he'll send you with your friends. Yeah. It's just, it's really good. And that verse just really, of all the verses in Judges, that was the one that was just so beautiful that words really can't exposit a good definition out of exactly what that is. But it's just the Lord's goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness to us all. And come on with that. Um, second bullet point, please. Spiritual ignorance. I think that the one of the biggest examples of spiritual ignorance that was in the book of Judges was it the story of Jephthah. In the story of Jephthah, Judges chapter 11, you get this guy who's also a very weak person, just like Gideon. He was born of a prostitute, and he was thrown out by his brothers because they didn't consider him equal with them, even though he was their stepbrother, and they stole his inheritance. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal that they took his inheritance from him, threw him out in the desert, and even the Bible, this is so peculiar to me, even the Bible says worthless fellows gathered around him. I mean, what, what do you have to do to be qualified by the Bible to be worthless? But that's what the Bible, that's the verbiage that the Bible uses, is that worthless fellows gathered around him. And in this, in this weakest spot, he's their leader. He's a leader of a band of worthless fellows. God says, you're going to be risen up as the judge. Bam. That's just, that blows my mind. I think if any of us were in God's shoes, I don't think, we would have, with our human minds, picked a guy out in the desert that has worthless fellows around him to lead Israel. That's exactly what God does. Tragically, though, Jephthah has the Lord on his side. The angel of the Lord comes to him, speaks to him, and yet he still doesn't believe that God's really there with him. And that, that, that's this whole concept of spiritual ignorance. The angel of the Lord was with him, and yet he still really didn't believe. And he goes, hey, Lord, you know, how about... Whoever comes through the door of my house first, I'm just going to sacrifice them to you as long as we get to win the battle against the, the Philistine or the one of the tribes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he says, I'm going to sacrifice whoever it is at my door as long as we can win this battle. And how many of you guys know that making deals with God just never works? Just follow him when he says do it. So what happens? He wins the battle. He's so happy. You know, this glorious moment. We, we see this on the news. You know, troops coming home. They're so happy. And who comes to the door? His daughter. His only daughter. And he already made it up in his mind that he was going to sacrifice whoever comes to the door. Man. And that's, that's a result of what I would call spiritual ignorance. And here's the, here's the really crazy part of the story. He still sacrificed his daughter. I've, I believe in my heart that if he would have cried out to the Lord and gone another cycle of sin, servitude, and salvation, and said, Lord, I sinned against you. I don't want to kill my daughter. The Lord would have said, yeah, no, I don't want you to kill your daughter either. God didn't want him to kill his daughter. But in his own pridefulness and his own spiritual ignorance, he took his own daughter's life, and that was his tragic end. Uh, next slide, please. Or not next slide. So the calling for holiness. Yeah, I think that's an undergirding in the entire book. You see it big time in Samson. He, his, he's consecrated as a Nazarite bow from birth. And really what that is, is just this prophetic calling for holiness. Some, some Christian circles and whatnot actually take the Nazarite vow, which says, you know, we're not going to do anything with grapes. We're not going to touch dead people. We're not going to cut our hair. If we do sin, we're going to cut our hair. Yeah, I think it's just a calling for holiness. If you want to do that, great. Do it for the, the, do it for the Lord, but I mean, I don't know. We're the vineyard. I think we're pretty down with wine here, so I don't think a lot of people are going <laughs> to 
actually get away from grapes. But anyways, so the, the calling for holiness, it, it, it ends in a tragedy because Samson violates every single one of the, the vows that are made in the, the Nazarite vow. He, tut, he kills this lion and like pulls out its insides, which I guess he just did in his free time. He marries, he marries a prostitute. He has relations with couple, at least two or three other women. And he gives his uh, secret away about cutting his hair. It's all tragedy. Yet throughout it all, you see interspersed between his downfalls, he doesn't do anything to reconcile himself, but the Lord keeps granting him strength. He, takes, he crashes through the, the gates and brings him 37 miles to the top of the mountain. He just, even in his dying breath when he's blind and he turns the pillars over, the Lord's still good to him. And I don't think that there's a whole lot of repentance on his side. All he really says, and this is the beauty of it, is he's like, God, I'm sinful. Grant me strength just to kill these guys, the Philistines. And even, he probably turned, you know, 360 degrees, he probably turned a fraction of a fraction of a degree towards the Lord, and the Lord met him the entire way. The entire way. And I just think that's so beautiful, because it shows God's absolute goodness to us all. Yeah, next slide, please. So what's the point? I think undergirding all of this, is the fact that they're judges. They're not kings. They're not rulers. They're not leaders. And so what the Lord's calling for, this is a concept that floats around a lot of this church, is being excellent, pursuing excellence in your craft, pursuing excellence in different things. I think what the Lord's calling for through this book and for for our church to really wake up to is this calling to excellence in leadership. That absolutely, you're called to be excellent in whatever you do and put your hand fully to it, but you're also called to be a leader. Nobody's disqualified from leadership. And I think how that happens is through cultivating a lifestyle of holiness, safeguarding against ignorance, and, yeah, looking at the book of Judges, it's looking at it, not pridefully, looking at it and also saying, yeah, Samson, he messed up, I'm Samson. Jephthah, he sacrificed his daughter. There's a Jephthah in me. Looking at that, seeing that, and then moving on from it. Because what's the difference? The difference is they're dead, and we're still alive. We still have the breath in our lungs. We still have the time to change the course of our lives so that we can have a good ending. So we don't have to have a bad ending like Jephthah killing his daughter. So we don't have to have a bad ending like Samson killing himself and killing the Philistines. We don't have to have a bad ending like Gideon making an ephod and starting to uh, idol worship. We don't have to have that ending. If we consecrate ourselves for holiness and we safeguard against ignorance, and always remind yourself of the goodness of the Lord. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, my name's Dusty. Um, some of you probably see me up here on stage. I uh, help out with the worship team and uh, sometimes do the welcome. And uh, maybe you've seen me up here before speaking. Uh, like Garrett, I'm taking a break from leading a community group uh, this time around, but I am hosting one. My wife and I are hosting, and uh, John and Candace Hansford are leading, so I'd like to invite at least 20 of you to our home group. You can sign up today over in the computer. <laughs> I thought I'd get, you know, all that in, introduce myself. Um, Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. How many of you guys have felt like this throughout this series? Man, reading the book of Judges, man, you just get depressed, right? Like, total downward spiral. We start off, everything looks really good, and somehow we end up in just absolute chaos. Um, 
I mean, if, if you've been with us through this series, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if not, go, just go read the book. Uh, caution, um, you might get depressed. <laughs> um, I was thinking about it this week. It's pretty interesting to me. Adam chose two of the, the more optimistic individuals here at the church to preach this, this last message. Uh, Andrew's laughing because he, he knows Garrett, man. Look, uh, Garrett's probably one of the most optimistic people I've ever met. I've, I've heard him in front of the church on numerous occasions ask you guys, are you ready to have the best Sunday of your lives? <laughs> man, he had my friend Alex Pepper convinced that the automatic signature on the end of all of his text messages was a smiley face. <laughs> that's, that's just Garrett. Uh, you, you might not know me, um, or you know, you might not know that I'm that way or optimistic, but uh, you can ask my wife. Like, anytime something's going on, my response to it's always like, well, that'll work out. Like, she could call me and say, oh, the car's kind of smoking a little bit, and uh, I don't know, and I'll be like, oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Um, and, and it's interesting to me because uh, I actually think that there's, there's a word from the Lord in that, that, um, that you have two optimistic individuals up here uh, bringing you this last message on a book that very much looks like this, you know, um, because cause Judges starts here and ends down here, but, but the period of Judges does not end down here. If, if we know our Bible, the period of Judges actually ends with Samuel. Samuel, the last judge who anoints Saul to be king, and then David after him. And, and it, it comes back up here, you know. Like, judges, the period of Judges ends on, on a high note. And so there's a word in that for us that, you know, maybe we might be feeling at the end of the series down here. But what's next is, is goodness. Like, the Lord has goodness for us. So let's go ahead and move on. Um, just to give some context, right. So Judges has been this spiral. You know, we went from promise to oppression. Um, the book just that precedes Judges is Joshua, and Joshua was an awesome leader for Israel, and he left them in complete position to fully take hold of the promised land, to take hold of their inheritance. And, and so Israel is primed, they're ready, they're going into battle, and then we end up just somewhere totally other than, than what should have happened, right? Um, they, they were... They were on the two-yard line ready to punch the ball in and somehow interception all the way the other way. I don't know. Um, so where did it go wrong? What, what, what went wrong? If, if we go back to the beginning of Judges, you know, they're, they're starting to win some battles. They're starting to take hold of some land. And, and what went wrong is they became too confident in their own abilities, too confident in themselves. Joshua led the people... Um, and led them in battle, but it was always with this mindset that they were in partnership with the Lord. Like at, Before every battle, you know, the Lord is going to give us this victory. The Lord is our strength. That was the banner that flew over them. But you see them and judges begin to put that aside a little bit. You know, they've had all these victories. They've gotten to the promised land. And they begin to come, become overconfident. Well, I can, you know, I can do this. I can take care of these people. We've gotten this far, right? And they get overconfident in their own schemes, you know, their own strategies. And, and they begin to put the Lord aside. And, and really, Judges is this cautionary tale to us. And it's a picture of what it looks like to end up in the promised land, the place where God has brought you and has called you, and still end up in oppression. Right? It's totally possible 
to end up in the promised land, the place where the Lord has called you and where the Lord has brought you and end up with shackles on your wrist. This is what Judges has shown us. You know, um, just throughout the entire book, increasing levels of oppression, increasing levels of oppression. By the time we get to Samson, um, the people are so oppressed they don't really even know they're oppressed. You know, um, And by the end of the book, we have the tribe of Dan living in total apostasy, isolated from the rest of their brothers. Um, and in fact, um, they went so far, their trajectory went so far off course that they live in idol worship all through the rest of the period of judges, all through the period of kings, right? All the way until captivity with Jeremiah, you know, that, that time period. Like, they, they live in idol worship that entire time. Uh, something went drastically wrong. This, this is a caution to us. Um, Israel, at the end of the book, also ends up in civil war with Benjamin, right? Their own brothers killing, killing each other. Um, you know, just absolute chaos, Really low, low, lows. Yeah. Um, cautionary tale. So what do we take away from it? One of the, the refrains that's been throughout this series, if we've been paying attention, is this, this call and this charge to us to wake up. Wake up and remember God. Right? The reason for this is because it's really easy for us to compromise our identity. That happened to the Israelites. They compromised their identity when they started to put God over in the corner and started to realize or start to get confidence in themselves and their own strength, their own um, schemes. They, they compromised their identity. Instead of flying the banner of, of people of God over their lives, they were flying the, the banner of people of Israel or people of Judah, um, people of Benjamin, that sort of thing. They, they were flying that, that banner that said they put confidence in themselves. And we could do the same thing, you know. Uh, we could fly the banner of our lives, you know, we are the people of the United States, or we're the people of Kentucky, the people of Campbellsville, and put God in this corner back here and just put trust in ourselves, you know, whatever it is, um, and, and we compromise our identity. So we have to wake up. We have to remember God. It's so important. We are the people of God. People of God. And we have to awake to the presence of God. Um, that, that, that's definitely what we see in Judges. You know, Judges awakening to the presence of God and accomplishing really great things. Garrett talked about the cycle of sin, servitude, and salvation. Salvation came around when the judges and, and the people of Israel began to awaken to the presence of God in their lives. Right? We need that same thing. Um, you know, we, we may live in the South and live in a community that can somehow support 150 churches. Um, but we still live like oppressed people sometimes. We really do. And we have to awaken to the presence of God in our own lives. Because, you know, you could, you could have committed yourself as a, you know, a young 9-year-old, 10-year-old, whatever, and said, you know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But then for the next 10, 15, 20 years, um, live oppressed. Just live absolutely oppressed. Um, and, and sometimes we do it to ourselves. Sometimes we absolutely do it to ourselves. Uh, we get convinced that um, no matter what you know what we've done or what we do, like it's it's never good enough for God. He would never want to use it. Like we hold ourselves back. We say, "Look, Lord, you would never use me because I've done this, this, and this." But you know, I still love you, God. Um, but I, I'm just I'm just a terrible person. You know, that's that's some of the culture that we've lived in and that we battle. Um, some of the stuff that we have to overcome, and we have to awake to our potential. 
we absolutely have to become awake to our potential. The Lord has, has put a calling on each and every one of our lives. Um, the Bible says that, that your sin has been put to death with Christ. And He no longer looks at you as unworthy, but He calls you righteous. You carry the fullness of God in you. We have to awake to that. We have to awake to the potential in us. right? Um, when we're looking at the book of Judges, we see it with Gideon and Samson. You know, we think about our perception of leaders. We probably think that you know, they have to be cultivated from a young age. and They, they have this trajectory on their lives that um, you know, pro- propels them to leadership. They're just special people. Um, but that's not true, right? You know, we see it with Gideon and Samson. They're not necessarily special people. They're people that awoke to the presence of God and, and the calling um, on their lives and the potential. You know, we're the same way. Like, imagine if all of us begin to awaken to the calling that God's put on our life, the potential that we have inside us. I mean, what could we change out in Campbellsville? What could we change out in Adair County? What could we change in this state? There's so much. And... And the last point here is, is we can't forget. Judges, this is a cautionary tale of what it looks like when you enter the promised land and end up in oppression. We can't forget. It's too easy to forget. It's too easy to get overconfident um, and put God aside. If you've been paying attention, um, one of the applications that Adam's given us is, you know, why don't we, you, we give ourselves reminders, you know, to remember God throughout the day, uh, his specific example was, you know, you, you got a phone that you carry around with you every day. Set an alarm several times a day that just prompts you to remember God. You know, whatever that looks like in your life. And first, I'll admit, I was a little bit resistant to it. It felt really prescriptive. Like, I, I don't know. I, it's just my personality. But I've actually been trying it this last week. And it'll change your life. It really will. Like, it'll change your life. Set some alarms on your phone or, or whatever you got to do. I don't know. Put up post-it notes around your mirror, or your computer monitor or what, whatnot. Um, they just say, remember God. So every time you, you come across it, you just, you just take a second, just a pause, you know, Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've given me a calling and, and that you, you only want good things for me. Lord, thank you for that. Like it, it'll absolutely, you know, you start telling the Lord that throughout your day. I mean, imagine how much better life is. <laughs> because you start declaring truth, you know, it's really good. And it's just, it's way too easy to forget. And sometimes we have to do these disciplined things to get ourselves in the habit. We have to do disciplined things to get ourselves in the habit. We want to become habitual people who do not forget about God. Because what does it look like when we forget about God? Well, and to judges. We, we have a story of, of rape, murder, dismemberment, civil war. What does it look like when we forget about God? That's what it looks like. It's way too easy. We can't forget. So that, that's the charge on us this morning, to become people who habitually remember God throughout our day. And, and maybe, in, maybe you do that, and, and in two months you don't need those reminders anymore. That's awesome. That's where we want to be. Because you just naturally go there. And then um, the last the last thing I think that we've taken away from the book of Judges, hopefully, is this, is a love for Scripture. Um, 
this is something that I think that the, the Spirit has definitely been speaking to us. If we'll consider this, this is the longest series we've ever done. We spent four months in the book of Judges, some 20 cha- chapters. Um, most of us probably know little baby Rowan, Adam's little boy, right? For, for the entirety of his life, we've been in the book of Judges. <laughs> All of it. And, and I think that the Spirit is speaking in that to us as a church, that, that we really need to develop a love for the Scripture. You know, it's, it's, Judges, it's an ancient text, but it's modern issues. Right? Like, the people in Judges, they're people just like us. All of us are capable of the same things that are in Judges. Whether or not you want to believe it, all of us are capable of that. It's so true. And so, th- there's, there's other areas in the Scripture that we need to just, we just need to begin to mine. You know, the, the Spirit is always speaking. But are we tuning in? Um, I ask that question, and unfortunately for myself, sometimes I'm not, right? So I'm preaching to myself here. You know, the Spirit's always speaking, and the Scriptures are definitely where He's speaking. And so we need to tune in. There is so much more for us. So much more, and, and often we're just ignoring it. And... There's been applications for a lifetime throughout this series. Um, and I, that sounds like hyperbole, but I really mean it. Um, week after week after week, Adam's been giving us application after application after application throughout this series. And um, maybe if you're not the kind of person that wants to take notes or write things down, um, even when told to, it's not too late. <laughs> right? It's not too late. We, we have all these messages up on the Internet. You could just, like, pull them up. Scroll all the way to, like, maybe, I don't know, somewhere towards the end. Write them down. Like, you could do a lot of good in your life if you were to take the next year and begin to try to apply all these things. Uh, th- there's, there's so many of them. And I just kind of realized in my own life, you know, some hit me some weeks, and, and others I just kind of let slip through my fingers. Um, so there's a real opportunity for us as a church. You know, the Spirit's been talking to us. He's been trying to teach us. He's been trying to give us fresh revelation. There's an opportunity for us as a church to apply these things in our lives. And imagine how much better off we'd be if we would just take the next year to do that. Um, and then we've got to ask ourselves the question of what's next, right? We spent four months in the book of Judges. And, um, and so just in your own personal life, what, what's the next text you're going to mine? Like, what's the next text that you're going to just spend some time with? I think it's really admirable. Some of you probably do this. You know, you, you probably spend the whole year reading the entire Bible. You know, there's like, there's Bibles that will give you a plan to do that or maybe an app or something like that. And that's really admirable, but a year might be too fast. Um, you might need to sit down with the Gospel of Luke for the next two months and just mine it. You know, whatever that is in your life. Um, you know, this is what Jesus said about Scripture, right? He's, he's in the desert, fasting and praying, getting ready to the beginning of his ministry, and, and he's getting tempted by the devil, and the devil comes to him and says, well, why don't you just turn that, those stones into bread? And Jesus' response is, is that, well, man doesn't live by bread alone, but from every, every word from the mouth of God. You know, the Scripture's a life. Like, we need the Scripture. You could be in the desert right now, the Word of God will nourish you. You could be standing at the doorstep of the promised land. The Word of God will strengthen you. 
or you might be in the promised land, the word of God will sustain you. We need it. We absolutely need it. Um, I was thinking about this weekend. Just my heart's just kind of been on fire, like for this this specific topic. Maybe this this season I'm in. I don't know. But like, you find a, a Christian that's been around a long time um, and has it ruined their lives. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, chances are they probably spend every single day in their Bible, even if it's not like ten chapters a day. They probably spend some time in their Bible meditating, seeking for fresh revelation. It's in there. Um, just for me, I know, I know in my life, you know, listening to um, a couple of theolo- theologians that I really respect, N.T. Wright, Dallas Willard, and those guys would never imagine giving up their Bible, even for a day. Never. And that just, just thinking about that kind of dedication, and I don't even know if it's dedication. I mean, at some point there was dedication, but now it's grown to like, dependence in, in, in a way like it's so life-giving to them that if they if you were to take the scripture away from them it would be like you were taking oxygen oxygen out of the room you know like like they would be drowning and that kind of dedication to me it just kind of sets my heart on fire you know like i want that kind of dedication in my life and i think the fact that we spent four months on one single book this the spirit has been prodding us and say look we need to devote ourselves to the scripture we really need so, so church, what's next? Um, we're going to do some ministry time. I'm going to invite uh, Adam and Garrett back up. And uh, we're just going to give the chance uh, for the Spirit to speak into the room a little bit. Sure. Um, hey, while Dusty was preaching, uh, Brandon, I got a word for you and Kelly. Uh, while it was really a little bit odd, I... Um, just as soon as Dusty started preaching, uh, I got an image of your house of standing in your kitchen and that the oven was full of bread, uh, but it was more bread than it could actually fit in the oven. It was almost as though there were a back door behind the oven that really wasn't there and there was just all this bread coming out. And I really feel like this is, uh, there is like supernatural provision, uh, that's in it, but it's, it's already in your house and it's coming out and it's coming from the place where you already serve people. Um, the things that you've already done are going to be the things that the Lord empowers you to do more. Uh, the places where you've already provided for people are going to be the places where you provide for people more. The meals that you've already cooked are going to be the meals that you cook more. And you can't go back to it without finding uh, an abundance there. I just saw it was like it got to the point where your whole kitchen just got completely filled up with these perfect loaves of bread, if that makes sense. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And it's, and it's on your whole family, too. It's, there's, there's, there's so much there that you can't exhaust it. If that makes sense. So, uh, Becca, I also got a word for you. Yeah, um, I, I feel like that you uh, that one of your main callings is as a teacher, um, and I feel like there's sort of a, a, a dual role here. Uh, uh, what I saw was that you had one foot in in two places. Um, I saw that you had uh, one foot in the church and then uh, one foot in the world, uh, which is terrible language, but it's just all I have right now. But uh, I saw that you have one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and that there's, there's, but, it's, but it's the same gift and it's the same calling as to teach and to empower people. And one of the things that the Lord wants to do is he wants to, um, he's actually gifted you with a knowledge of the Holy Spirit to be able to teach people about the Holy Spirit, and especially people who are resistant to the Holy Spirit, especially for people who are like, I've heard of him and I don't like him. 
And there's, there, I feel like there's a real gift in you to win people over. There's something disarming about you to win them over and to introduce them to your, this really great friend you have, the Holy Spirit. And, and to introduce them to the power of the Spirit. Um, it's no accident that, you've married Joseph, that you're going to marry Joseph. Um, this is a man uh, who is all about the power of the Spirit. And part of your all's uh, union is going to be teaching people to, to fall in love with somebody that they were afraid of. Does this make sense? Amen. Amen. Dusty? Um, is anybody suffering from like a, a basketball injury? It could be anything like a turned ag- ankle or just whatever. Awesome. Okay, we want to pray for you. And um, the other the other word for healing I got was uh, carpal tunnel. Uh, anybody dealing with crippling carpal tunnel, like it's stealing your livelihood, right? Um, a lot of us need to use computers for work. Yeah. Yeah, I got uh, specifically two words. One of them is for a left knee. Does anybody have any left knee issues? All right, great. Well, we want to pray for every single person that has that. The second one... Um, yeah, during when uh, Dusty was speaking, or actually it was during worship, I got a specific word for anybody in the room who's ever given themselves the label that they're sexually immoral. Anybody that's actually said, hey, I'm, I'm an adulterer, I'm a sexually immoral person, and they've actually believed it, uh, we want to pray for you today. Yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, I, I know that you, uh, that might not be a word that some people in the room just want to jump up and go, that's me, I'm the sexually immoral guy. Um, um, but that's actually probably something pretty important to respond to. So after the meeting, when it's all just kind of stirring up, just like come up and grab one of us. Uh, we, we'd love to pray for you. There's, there's grace uh, for that. Uh, one of the things that the Lord has been doing in the last few months here at the Vineyard is setting people free from sexual addictions of all varieties, especially the ones that you don't want to talk about. Those are the ones that Jesus is most interested in talking about, and he's got nothing but kindness for you. Nothing but kindness for you. Uh, if you've been uh, totally addicted to pornography for a good while, great. Uh, it, there's, uh, there's a really friendly Jesus who would like you to set you free from that. Uh, if you've been sleeping with a woman who isn't your wife, great. There's a really kind Jesus who'd like to set you free from that because it's going to ruin your life. And he's just he's crazy about you, if that makes sense. Awesome. Everybody good? Hey, why don't you stand up? We want to pray for you. If we've got a ministry team this morning, why don't you come up? Uh, we gave...